Commandment number eight, what is it? Go. Some of you are like, Tim, that's a trick question because it depends on how you count them. And I guess I'll let you off the hook. That's exactly right. But I am convinced that after you hear our preacher for today, Hunter Wiltshire, you are going to understand the beauty and how to live out commandment number eight in a way that you never have before. So I'm so excited for Hunter to bring the word of God to you. As I think about Hunter, he's one of the three men that we licensed to the gospel ministry uh, late last year. And we're just so excited to affirm the call of God on his life and to walk this journey with him. But as I think about Hunter, one of the verses of scripture that comes to mind is from 1 Thessalonians chapter 2 where the apostle Paul is writing to the church at Thessalonica and he says this it was our pleasure to not only share with you the gospel of God but our very lives as well as I think about Hunter I've watched him since he became part of Miami Valley Church share with confidence and boldness and conviction the gospel of God that Jesus Christ is the way the truth and life the only way to heaven and from his lips he shared with boldness the gospel of God but I've also watched him from the time he showed up share his very life as well literally I watched him from the office window be the first one to show up to set up for youth group and I watched as he was often the last one to stay and clean up. But not only did he do those things for those teenagers and for those adults, but he opened up his lives and he poured into those adults and those teenagers and gave them a glimpse of not only what Jesus said, but how Jesus lived. I've watched as Hunter and his bride, Alyssa, have shared their very lives as well, as they've opened their homes to become house church leaders. I watched as I had the privilege of officiating their wedding ceremony as the most important thing on their wedding day was what was said and the vows that they exchanged in front of a community, not for show, but because they were opening their lives and their commitment to live out the gospel of Jesus Christ. I watch as they share with us their brand new baby boy, Ezekiel, and how they share their very lives as well. And I've watched on Tuesday nights as Hunter is living out his call and sharing his vision. And just a couple of Tuesday nights ago, he shared the vision that God had put on his heart for how community is to be lived out, not just on house church days, but on every day of the week. Hunter said it this way, a gospel presentation is incomplete without an invitation to community. And God has given Hunter a vision for how community can be lived out. You're going to be hearing more about that vision and that direction in the days and weeks ahead. And I'd encourage you not just to wait until you see Hunter, but to seek Hunter out and to hear from his heart the vision that God has given him for community right here in the Miami Valley. So I just know you're about ready to be blessed as Hunter shares with you the truth from God's Word and the Eighth Commandment. Almighty God, would you take what Hunter has prepared, and God, would you do what only your Spirit can do? Would you take it and would you drive it deep? May your Word accomplish the purpose for which it's sent forth today, not information, but transformation. God, may each and every one of us see and be challenged to share not only the gospel of God, but our very lives as well and the ways we interact with others and the ways we live our lives. Father, continue to bless Hunter, Alyssa, and Zeke in every way. Pour your favor out on them as the vision you've given him comes true. Father, we're ready. Our minds are open. Our hands and feet are ready to be obedient. We trust that your spirit will speak. In Jesus' name, amen. Good morning. It has been a privilege preparing this message that the Lord has put on my heart concerning the Eighth Commandment, you shall not steal. Over the past many weeks, leaders in our community have stepped up and prepared messages that I hope have blessed, informed, convicted, and inspired you to be more like Jesus, as that is the ultimate goal of applying these commandments to your life. And so today, as we dive into the Eighth Commandment, 
I'd like us to take a moment and open our Bibles to Acts chapter 5. We will be reading in verses 1 through 11. But before we get ahead of ourselves, I think it's important we take a moment and read the commandment as it's written in the ESV translation in Exodus chapter 20 in verse 15. You shall not steal. I don't know about you, but when I read this, I get images of Uncle Sam pointing at me saying, I want you. It's easy to blow through the Ten Commandments without understanding the context that God made these personally to guide his people into a life filled with character, meaning, and purpose. Each one of the Ten is a personal call out to any who might come across the scriptures. And so just as Uncle Sam called out many for armed forces involvement, I think it's important to put yourself in the hot seat today and feel the weight of God's finger pointing at you and saying, you, don't steal. And so with that in mind, I hope we have all opened our Bibles to Acts chapter 5. And uh, if you would just take a moment to read verses 1 through 11. If you would humor me and answer this question, what is stealing? Now, for some of you, you might be conjuring up some images uh, of experiences that you've had in your life or examples of that. Uh, maybe an image of a child sneaking into a gas station to steal a pack of gum. Others might think of an exciting bank heist where there's a team of well-trained, unique character criminals all that seem to have a backstory we seem to sympathize with, like in some fancy Hollywood production. Others even considering cases like Bernie Madoff, cutting people out of billions of dollars. 
Now I'd like to submit to you that all of these have a common thread and beginning, including Ananias and Sapphira. They all started with a lie. Now look at the beginning of verse two with me. And with his wife's knowledge, he kept back for himself some of the proceeds and brought only part of it to the apostles. Now, though this story doesn't explicitly state the sin of Ananias and Sapphira as stealing, I would submit to you that the, uh, that is in fact the sin in question. Without a doubt, it starts with a lie, but it ends in taking from God that which is already his. Let's back up to the analogy of the young child sneaking into a gas station to steal back a pack of gum. Maybe this is a story you know all too well, and you can still hear the disappointment of your parents and the shame of having to return that piece of gum you stole. In this case, like many, when we decide to steal, we get the case of the, we'll just tell them. You know, we'll just tell them that a friend gave it to us at school, or we'll just tell them we found it somewhere on our way home. Now these lies are never well thought through, but we spend a lot of time devising a defense to thwart those who seek the truth, don't we? As I've had the recent honor of becoming a father, I've found videos with kids acting out to be both funny, but also a little scary. Uh, I saw one a few weeks ago where a little girl was covered in icing and cake while with a complete straight face looking her mother in the eye and telling her she did not in fact eat the cupcake she was asking her about. Now, isn't that the perfect picture of how God must have seen Ananias and Sapphira? And if we're willing to be honest, all of us, when we've been caught in a lie. We, with begging and pleading, make for ourselves a strong argument, believing we will get, our we will get out of our responsibilities, and yet the whole while we have the truth splattered all over ourselves. My wife and I love watching a TV show called Lone Star Law. It's, a, it's about game wardens and it's kind of just like a real life cops type show. Uh, and so on this show, it never ceases to amaze me how many people will poach or, or steal wildlife and come up with a fantastic story, uh, all the while forgetting to do the most important thing of explaining it to their buddy or significant other that is in the seat right next to them. You see, the details of the lie are deep and often well thought out, but it results in nothing because of the simple fact that, uh, like in the case of Ananias and Sapphira, the game wardens already knew what was going on. And so, uh, just like in that case with Ananias and Sapphira, look at verse 8 with me today. You see, Peter already knew that they gave less than they sold, and yet Sapphira, and yet he gave Sapphira the opportunity to right the wrong and tell the truth. But the lies only serve as a justification of for theft, like in the case of a heist gone wrong. You see, putting people's lives in danger and stealing from a bank is risky, and oftentimes it results in collateral damage. Every heist movie you can think of uh, includes moments of insane preparation to then have something unexpected bring it all to ruin. Ananias saw the land as his property and maybe in a moment of excitement and conviction laid down that thing he worked so hard to get. Then, after he realized what he'd promised and how much he got, he got for it, uh, greed entered into his heart and tainted that beautiful thing that God wanted to do with his sacrifice. 
I hope some of you listening today remember how uh, our Pastor Tim has so helpfully defined sin as anything we do that doesn't please God, anything we say that doesn't please God, anything we we could have done to please God, and yet we left it undone. Ananias and Sapphira knew that selling the property and giving all of it to the Lord's church, especially at that infant stage, was an important task and would have brought God glory. Yet in their greed and unbelief, they refused to trust God's ability to provide and change the terms of their gift. I wonder if we have ever found ourselves in a similar predicament as we live life the Jesus way. Maybe excitement and conviction got the better of us and our spirit got ahead of our mind and we promised something we felt we really couldn't keep. In a lot of ways, that's some, uh, that's, uh, in a lot of ways, that's how some of the most prolific Ponzi schemes started out with promises of big returns and safe investments. All the while, the guy selling it knew that he couldn't provide what he was selling, but they took advantage of that desire to have that exists in all of us. I believe it roots itself in the part of God that is jealous. You see, he created everything we know with the explicit goal of glorifying himself and having a people for his very own. He has sacrificed his own son to realize that. And yet, as his children, we often take more than we know and we claim it to be ours. You see, we steal from God when we take this gift and make it ours. Everything we have is a gift, isn't it? You see, stealing that begins with a lie is not a human invention. The Genesis account when the devil tempts Eve to partake of the fruit that God had reserved for himself began with a lie. The enemy did not seek to convince Eve for her benefit, but for his, seeking to steal glory from God and mock his creation. Now this shouldn't come as a surprise, for his goal is stated quite simply in John 10 verse 10, as only to steal, kill, and destroy. It shouldn't surprise us that in our rebellion, we tend to lean into the same mentality to take what is not ours while believing ourselves right because our needs are more important than others. But hope is not lost. You see, it can be easy to hear a story like Ananias and Sapphira and believe that our lot in life is helpless. After all, it seems harsh to me that death would be the penalty for this sin. How many times have we ourselves been in such a predicament? And yet we are here today to hear this message. If you will turn with me to Ephesians 4 verse 28, it reads, Let the thief no longer steal, but rather let him labor doing honest work with his own hands so that he may have something to share with anyone in need. Idle hands make the devil's work comes to mind as I read this verse. But how glorious is it to know that simple answers to problems we create? After all, aren't Christian, all Christians reformed thieves? Sinners saved by the grace of God in the life and resurrection of Jesus. All of us today have a story of a time we took something that wasn't ours, as we've all taken our lives into our own hands and sought glory for ourselves and not for God. And yet he is patient, always working for our good and his glory, giving us nuggets of truth that seem small and insignificant, 
yet, like in Ephesians 4.28, can lead us toward righteousness and away from lies. Because the Lord is sufficient for all our needs. The second part of John 10.10 tells us that Jesus came to give us life and life abundantly. 2 Corinthians 12.9 hammers the same point home in that his grace is sufficient and his power is made perfect in our weakness. And so it begins with an acknowledgement of weakness. Ananias and Sapphira couldn't bring themselves to bow before the authority of God, and so it was easy to cut a little off the top of what they had given him. They had not realized the depth of Jesus' sacrifice for them, and so they made it nothing in their greed. I wonder how many of us struggling with that very th same thing today. Maybe we have had a year of struggle, and we just want to experience a bit of comfort. And so we look at our giving and we reduce it for other expenses. Maybe you've been blessed and are tempted to keep more than you reasonably need. And God is telling you to give and yet you find yourself hesitating. Trust in God's ability to make you capable of things you wouldn't be without him. Maybe you've never felt him enter into your life and give you this ability to do more than you could before. And throughout this week, I pray one thing stays with you. And that's how much he loves you. You see, he has pursued you since before you were born and has given you this moment to acknowledge the sacrifice he made for your soul through the death, burial, and resurrection of his son, Jesus Christ. God gave that you might take this gift and with it, eternal life. His unmerited favor that has poured out to his people has no reservations. God has withheld nothing in his pursuit for your soul. He even went to the extent of give, taking of himself and giving it in the form of his son, Jesus. This is the power of Christianity, that when humanity took, God gave. It's not shocking to know that it is perfectly within our instincts to keep covet and steal. But God has given us an ability to give in a way that is foreign to those who don't know him. For there is no greater love than this, that a man should give his life for his friends. God does not ask us to steal for himself, but rather for our good. To, heal, uh, to realize his ability to provide for us and to remind us who ultimately is in control. We have all heard the saying that it is more blessed than, uh, to give than receive. Our giving to God that which God has entrusted to us is an expression of love and devotion to him. Church, it is so vitally important that we don't miss this today. Look at what God has done in, the, in our midst over the past few months. All of the interactions and opportunities we have uh, had to give with our time and our space. Many of us have opened our homes but have we opened our hearts? I believe anyone who went to our Palm Sunday service this year got to see what God is doing. Will you simply watch and continue to take? Or will you seize this opportunity for God's glory? To see his church unified, to see and experience community in a new way, to get elbow deep with our neighbors and commit to supporting them even when it's inconvenient. Think back on John 21 in verse 15 and following when Jesus asks Peter if he loves him. What does he say? Feed my sheep. 
Have you given yourself to that purpose? Sheep can't survive unless they have community, and neither can we. Lastly, in Matthew 25, verses 31 through 46, it speaks of a time we will all face judgment, and how our expressions of love and giving of our time, money, and effort will directly result in service to God. For as many as you have done this to the least of these, so too have you done it to me. Giving is one of the few opportunities we get in this life to truly honor our Father that has given us everything. And He's a good God to ask that of us because it makes us better and less dependent on the undependable. For He is faithful and He is good. So let's trust Him with His stuff today. Let's pray. Father God, I want to thank you for what you have gave, given, mostly your son, Lord, and the sacrifice that you made, the knowledge that you had in the very beginning of creation, that you would send your son as a sacrifice for the whole world. I pray for the one or the few or the many in this uh, message today that are hearing that do not know you, Lord. I pray that you would penetrate the darkness, that you would let light shine in, and that you would show them that even though we have taken, you have given. May we find peace and strength in that truth. For the believers that are hearing this message today, Lord, I pray for encouragement and strength. For the enemy seeks only to consume us in our own desire to have and to keep those things that you have given us from you. And so I pray, Lord, that as we uh, all come to a moment of acceptance of, of what we have taken from you, we may also come to an acknowledgement and, an, and a greater awareness of the things we have to give to you and to your services. Would you give us the strength to, uh, to invest in community in new ways this week? To go out, to knock on a door, to ask how a neighbor's doing, and to go further, Lord, to sacrifice to our time, our effort, our money even, in pursuit of their souls. Would you reach our hearts and minds in that way that your kingdom might be grown this week? And Lord, I pray for the future, Lord, that as we seek you, we might find ourselves daily pursuing you in that regard and more so, Lord, always seeking to give your name glory. I pray that your word would be sharp on our lips, but that it would be kind to all those who might hear it, that we may show love and companionship and have somewhere to, uh, to embrace those who seek, who, who don't believe they're capable of being embraced. And so Lord, I pray that you would cast away the darkness and allow the light to come into this community. And I thank you for the honor of having an opportunity to be a part of that in any small way we can. For your name is glorious and mighty, worthy to be praised. And I pray, Lord, that as we go throughout this week, we might seek opportunities to give rather than take. It's in Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Hunter did an incredible job walking us through that command, you shall not steal. And I love the way that he set that up, talking about what we take versus what we give. What is it today that you are just holding on to, that you are robbing God of his glory by just holding on too tightly and not giving? 
Is it your time? Is it uh, a certain area in your life where you can just serve and be a blessing to others? Is it your money that you're just holding on to today? And so as we wrestle with that together, this is what I would like for us to do right now in your house church where you are meeting. Let's read Matthew 25 verses 31 through 36. Let's read that together as a house church, and then let's go through these questions together as we meditate on God's word together. Church family, I love you, and I hope that you have a blessed rest of the day.